John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, the first um, 30 verses we talked about last week, and Jesus is defending himself to um, the Pharisees, and he is being criticized for healing a man on the Sabbath. And one of his um, um, disputes to them, or or one of his, his arguments to them, was that they circumcise on the Sabbath. If a, if a child is born on a Friday, then the eighth day happens on the Sabbath. And he challenges them with the idea that if, if it's okay for you to circumcise on the Sabbath, then, then why would not be okay for me to heal someone on the Sabbath? Um, so verse 30, um, they say, therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. So we see that Jesus is orchestrating and um, walking them through this whole back and forth, and he is in total control. They can't take him unless he wants them to, and there'll be four or five times they're going to want to take him, and they're not going to be able to. Because his time has not yet come, which means his time to die has not yet come. And when it's time for him to die, he will go voluntarily and willingly and give his life for us. Which brings us to verse 31. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? So this is pretty interesting. While we see the first 30 verses, this back and forth debate between him and the Pharisees, and you almost kind of sit back and wonder why Jesus is even going through all this because there's no way these men are ever going to turn to him. And it just seems like uh, 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 not a waste of time, but it doesn't seem to be accomplishing anything. But what we see in verse 31 is that it's the people around him that are listening to this debate that are being absolutely uh, drawn to God through what he's saying. And so many times when we are talking, it's, it's those that are, we never know who's listening. And what is it in verse 31 that convinces these people that he is the Christ? And they ask a question. When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? In other words, he's been healing people, feeding 5,000. Obviously, this has to be the Christ. It has to be the Messiah. Because if he's not the Christ, we can't expect the Christ to do more than this guy's doing. And Romans one twenty talks about creation uh, being the proof of God's uh, character qualities. And that because of creation, man is without what? Excuse. There's no excuse for anyone not to see God in creation and in the universe. And these miracles convince these people that he had to be the Christ. And there is no excuse. There just is not an excuse today. And no one's going to be able to stand before God and say, well, how was I supposed to know? 
Well, creation itself declares the glory of God. Uh, Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. So any time in, in over the years when there's been, I'm going to say a dozen people at least that have made a decision to serve God, give their life to Christ, get back in church, rededicate themselves or or something in like manner even if it's just I'm going to start reading my Bible I'm going to start going to church I remember there was a young man just about six months ago and he after service he was crying and said boy this is what I was looking for I've never heard the word before this this is what I've been looking for and went home told his family and they just basically told him, you ever go back to that church, you will never come in this house again. And he was in his early 20s, and he didn't come back. And there is always, like we see in verse 32, the Pharisees heard the murmurings, and they were going to get Jesus, and they were going to get rid of him. This is nothing new. Turn to Acts 14, verse 2. We're going to read uh, three separate passages of Scripture, and they all have the same basic principle. People are turning to God, and then someone shows up to turn them away. So in Acts 14, verse 1, it says, It happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and spoke that a great multitude of Jews and the Greeks believed. So this is the uh, first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And they get to a town called Iconium. And it was their custom to go to a city and go to the synagogue and begin to preach. And as they preached, many Jews and Greeks were believing. So look at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. The poisoning of the mind is the strategy of the enemy always has been what was the very first thing satan ever said in the bible has god indeed said he said it to eve because his his mode of operation and his strategy is to poison the minds i'll give you an well let's read some other verses and i'll I'll give you some insight on that uh, Joshua chapter 14. Let's go all the way back to Joshua. And one of the reasons we're going back to Joshua 14 is so that you can see um, that the strategy of the enemy doesn't change. We just read this last week when we were talking about Caleb inheriting land. And in Joshua 14, Caleb is remembering the time when he went in to spy out the land and there were 12 spies and only Caleb and Joshua wanted to trust the God, trust God. So in verse 8, 
Oh, look at verse 7. Joshua 14. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So once again, Joshua comes back with a positive message. We, this land is fantastic. The grapes are giant. The, the land is beautiful. It flows with milk and honey. And the enemy melted the hearts of the people so that they would not follow God. Um, let's look at Second Samuel 15. Just a few more books to your right. Second Samuel 15. In this context, David is the king and his son Absalom is trying to turn the people away from King David. And verse 1 of chapter 15, after this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early in the morning and stand beside the way at the gate. So it was whenever anyone had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, and I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand, take him, and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel, who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And so he would use a strategy that the evil people use today. And it is, they would come back and David would be a righteous judge. Therefore, you would not always get the uh, result you were looking for. And he would say, well, how'd it go? Oh, he just said my neighbor could, it was my, I thought my neighbor's, Cows ate my fruit and he should have paid for it, but David said no. Oh man, that's a terrible decision. Oh man, oh that I would be judged. If I was judged, I would have certainly ruled in your favor. And then he'd hug and he said, no, I'm sorry. Boy, my dad, I, he, you know my dad, he can be unreasonable sometimes. And what he did is he began one at a time over years and years stealing the hearts of the people. And if you listen to people who are walking away from God, the language is exactly the same. They have had their minds poisoned and their hearts stolen. I know for a fact that it's happened to my own children. They love them to death, but the world has stolen their hearts and poisoned their minds. Uh, that God is not true. Um, and he's subtle. But it, 
his strategy never changes. And if you know the strategy of the enemy, it's interesting if you go back and look at the history of the world. There have been many empires of the world. There has been Babylon. There's been the Pharaoh in Egypt. There have been the Romans with um, um, Pilate and Caesars. And there have been Muslims today. And, and all through, they all have one thing in common. There's a hatred for Jews and a hatred for God's people. Well, how, how can so many different people have that same mentality? Well, it's the same person behind them. It's the enemy who walks about like a roaring lion. Um, it's, I, I have uh, coached basketball for a long time. And what's interesting about it is every once in a while you'll have a basketball coach that will change schools. And they'll coach one school and then they'll go coach another school. And what will happen is this school under this coach had a certain amount of strategy that they would use. They would either be an up-tempo team or a slow team. And then this school, when they got the new coach, they'd be totally different kids in totally different colored uniforms doing the exact same thing this other school would do because it's the same coach. And the coach has a philosophy and a way of doing things. Well, the evilness behind evil from the Garden of Eden till today, it's the same mindset behind it. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We know that verse but against principalities and rulers of darkness. And one of the strategies that he's always used from day one is when people are starting to follow God is to get in there as quick as possible and turn their attention away, turn their hearts away, convince them that God is wrong. And it's usually through some vain uh, philosophy of the world that he's always used. And so let's go back to John chapter 7. Because that's the first thing the Pharisees are doing. They hear the crowd murmuring and they're starting to figure out that this Christ, this Jesus is the Christ. And they say, we got to go stop him. We got to stop him right now. We gotta, we're, we're not turning their hearts. We're not poisoning their mind. So we got to get rid of him altogether. Verse 33. Then Jesus said to them, I'll be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to themselves, where does he intend to go, that he shall not find them? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and, and, and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I'm going, you cannot come? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We talked a little bit about that this morning when we talked about the verses in which Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go so I can send the helper. So he hasn't gone yet. So while the spirit is at work, 
the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on believers did not happen until Acts chapter 2. So what we see here is that men are confused between the flesh and the spirit. When he says he's going to go somewhere and you will not be able to find me, they thought, well, he must be going to the cities of the Greeks and, and talk to them. Maybe he's leaving. And when he's talking about water, they're, they're not sure. And this has always been, we're only in John chapter 7, but in John chapter 7, we, we've already seen Nicodemus confused about being born again. We have seen the Samaritan woman be confused about living water. We have seen the 5,000 confused about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And now we see the crowd confused about where he's going. And the world today has the same issue. When we tell somebody that we know that Jesus Christ is real and we know the Bible is true and they say, how do you know? The answer is a spiritual answer. Because the answer is a spiritual answer, it's very hard for them to understand it. Because faith is a gift of God, not of works. Even though the answer is a spiritual answer, I know it by faith. But the faith was given to me by God, so it's very difficult. I always, uh, some explained to me years ago, it's like taking someone who's blind all of their life and trying to explain to them the color red. You really wouldn't be able to do it. You could you could use illustrations and you could say, well, it's like an apple, but they've never seen an apple. You could say, well, it's like a fire. You, you couldn't explain it because you can't really explain the details of it. And faith is the same thing. We know because of our experience. And so it's very important that we can can help to explain this what is spiritual and what is physical. And that's what they were having a hard time with this with Jesus early in his ministry. Um, but now we're going to get to the root of, of what I think most of the confusion falls into in the world today. And this is where you and I come in. So verse 40. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this, said, truly, this is the prophet. So they are beginning to recognize through his preaching and his word and his miracles that he has to be this Messiah. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will Christ come out of Galilee? So there's the debate. He's a prophet, which many religions, even the Quran speaks of Jesus but it doesn't speak of Jesus as God's son. It speaks of Jesus as a prophet. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses see Jesus as something different than the Messiah and God's son, as do the Mormons. So some say he's a prophet. Some say he's the Christ. But then others say, no, he cannot be the Christ because will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was division among the people because of him. So what caused this division? The main cause of this division is really interesting. We think he's the Christ. 
he can't be the Christ because the Christ is coming from Bethlehem and he's from Galilee. And Micah 5, 2 tells us that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. So they are actually using the scriptures to back up their point. What's the problem? They're missing some information, aren't they? Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But they're assuming that he was from Galilee. And he is. Nazareth is way north in Galilee, way north of Bethlehem. And their assumption is because he lives there and his parents have always lived there, Joseph and Mary, that he was born there. But he wasn't. He was born in Bethlehem. So what is causing the division? The division is called is caused by people not having all the information. And much of the division in Christians today and in the world today concerning Christ is a lack of information. Larry mentioned a friend of his today that he had known. How many years, Larry, had you known this fellow for? And and he was seventy, and and the can you share again with the, the what the comma that he made to you? And, and that is a very common thing. Have you ever had somebody want to debate you about the Bible who has never read the Bible? Many times. It's, it's a, and, and yet they think they know everything the Bible says because they were told what the Bible, somebody told them what it said. This is a debate. By people who actually know the verse, they're they're they know that the Bible says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. What's the information they're missing? Hi, Ted. We're in John chapter seven. So, what's the information they're missing? They're missing the information where Jesus was born. So, this is a part. There's there's a great verse in the Bible. It it, it doesn't completely um, have to do with this particular. Uh, subject but there's a great verse in the Bible in which Jesus wants people to stand in the gap and it's the idea of of us introducing people to God and standing in the gap between God and man but one of the things we need to do is know the scripture well enough to be able to fill in the, the blanks and to be able to correct when people are, are have been given misinformation and in the internet age, the misinformation is rampant. There's so much uh, false information concerning Christ, God, the church. And, and because the enemy has done a very good job, Satan has done a very good job of... What, what's interesting to me is what most people in the world deem offensive about the Bible is ten times worse in the Quran 
ten times when it comes to homosexuality or women's rights and they vilify the Bible as being homophobic and misogynistic and all of those things it's ten to fifty times worse over here but Satan's already got that side he's not not even concerned with turning the world against the Koran the Koran turns people away from God That's, that's his book but the scriptures do you ever wonder why it is does it make any common sense no but it makes all spiritual sense from scriptural point of view it's proof of everything we're talking about because the vilification comes towards this book from people who have never read it they've never read it Um, so the root of most division is either false information or not having all the information. All of us have been involved in a dispute or disagreement in which the anxiety between two people was caused by either false information or wrong information. I was, uh, we're, we're struggling a little bit with, with, uh, relationship with some of our, uh, kids and, I went and talked to, to my son about it, and it's all based on some misunderstood false information. We can't convince them that it's that way, but it is. It's just what, what they think we think is not true. And so that's Satan's mode of operation, always. Go ahead. Right. And and that that has that started with uh, Cain. Cain was the very first one to bring an offering based on what he wanted. It wasn't long after that they built a tower to God because they didn't want to spread out. It's never changed, and and we do the same thing today. And the result is hundreds of denominations, hundreds of different churches, all the way from, from, from denominations to cults to false religions, and people are so confused. But guess what? God is not the author of confusion. So who is then? Do you see? Maybe it's the father of all lies. So in this case, it wasn't even a lie. It was just a lack of information. So there was division among the people. Verse 44. Some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why not? It wasn't his time. I, and I don't know always the details of what kept him from taking him. I know we, we'll see some scripture where he just walks in the midst of them and they don't see him. I don't know. Sometimes they just, I, I want to, and then verse, this, these next verses are the, my favorite ones from this chapter. So it says, The officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said to them, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? So this gives you some insight. These men were told to go arrest him. That was back in the first verse 32. They were told to go get him. And they couldn't, they couldn't take him. And they come back and they didn't take him. 
You don't do that, by the way. That's They're risking their lives by not making this arrest. And the Pharisees answered, or verse 46, the officers answered, no man has ever spoke like this man. Man, I love that verse. That is such an encouraging verse to us. It's not what he said, right? It's the way he says it. There, Over and over in the scripture, you hear this description of Jesus' speaking, that he speaks as a man having authority. If you remember in the garden when he spoke, everybody fell backwards onto the ground. When he speaks, something happens inside a person. And the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God has power. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I know this is a very familiar verse probably to everyone here. Um, but let's just look at it and, and let it sink in. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick or living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So this describes the word of God as being a living book that that cuts through all of the garbage that people use to dismiss God. And so if, if you want to argue with somebody about religion... It, it doesn't really have much of an impact on them. But if, if someone is willing to talk to you and, and say things like, well, what makes your religion the only religion? What makes you guys right and everybody else wrong? And you say, well, John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You are now doing a surgical procedure on the thoughts and intents of that person's life. When I see this two-edged sword, and we know that the Bible says take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the sword is is an obvious picture of God's Word. But it works like a scalpel more than a sword, in which it cuts down into the joints and marrows and reveals the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. Now remember, the heart is wicked and deceitful. And it's the word of God that cuts away all the garbage and, and, and lays it, you know. The Bible says that it casts down every argument that rises up against the, the word of God. And so it's much wiser of us to rely on scripture when we are defending our faith than to rely on our own cleverness. It's very important that we avoid things like, well, I believe, because that has no power. Or, my pastor says, trust me, that has no power. 
or well our church believes that has no power but if you have the verse and says well the bible says now you got your scalpel out now you've got the tools you need to cut through the garbage and it takes all the pressure off of you they're no longer debating with you and if they want to debate with god that is where they're wrestling and that's where paul was kicking against the goads when stephen stood eloquently sharing the word of god with those people while paul listened as he held on to the clothes and changed his life forever um back to john 7 so the pharisees response to this was obvious anger the pharisees answered them are you also being deceived again such an obvious tool of the enemy one of the first things you will hear from somebody outside the church when you are making an effort to grow in christ is you're not falling for that are you you're not falling for that you don't believe it's in that book do you and, and it's like if you put on the internet you know you know thoughts and we we're praying for you and somebody will always put don't waste your time there's no one there if you want to fall for that garbage and not all that stuff it's the same satan he doesn't change and and they try to embarrass these guys and say look at are are you also deceived and then he says have any rulers or the pharisees believed in him he says look at you're just a bunch of soldiers we're the men who are smart. We're the men who have our degrees. We are the professors of the world today. And, and did you know how Satan has done that? The Bible says in Romans 1 that in, in, when people suppress the truth, they will profess themselves to be wise, but they will become fools. And the majority of the intellectual world in our country are atheists. And, and they would uh, uh, ridicule those who would trust to God. And they would, they would pit God against science as if that's the other falsity, that there's God and there's science. No, God invented science. So everything you see in science is just more proof of God and, and, the, and the divine creator. And so, but here's the interesting thing. He points to the Pharisees and say, look at have we fallen for this false garbage? And what does he not know? He doesn't know in John chapter 3, Nicodemus went and talked to Jesus about being born again. So when these soldiers say, we, no one has ever spoke like this man, Nicodemus is there. In his response to that, what do you think it would be? I know what you're talking about. I had a long... But look what he says. Nicodemus speaks up in verse 50. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, uh, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? And I see this verse totally different than I used to see it. This is all about trusting in the word of God to be powerful 
So these men come back and they say, why didn't you arrest him? No one ever spoke like this man. And immediately I believe in Nicodemus, he relates to that. Because he is still thinking about, you must be born again from John chapter 3. And so he stands up and says, hey, you know, uh, he's not going to admit that he believes in him, right? But he is going to say, you know, isn't against the law to judge somebody before we do what? Hear him. So I used to think that he was trying to protect Jesus. But now I think he might be trying to get the other Pharisees to hear him. And I think he believes that they can just hear him that they'll respond like the soldiers did and like he did. And I was, I was left in this chapter thinking that's, that's the goal. Not to get people to Bible Christian Church, not to get people to events, but to get people to a place where they can hear him. And, and whether it's putting a book in a box or a Bible in a box or a track in a box or a coloring book in a shoe box, somehow, some way, if they get a hold of anything with the quick and powerful sword of God, it will have an effect on them. It doesn't have to be us. It doesn't. It, it, this this preaching that we do. Uh, how does the Bible describe preaching? Does anybody know the verse? Yeah, it's foolishness. And and why is it foolishness? Because it's just reading the Word of God, and there's there's no talent needed to read and share what what Christ is is saying. And so he's taking these weak, base, sinful men and women and whoever you're teaching at Sunday school and moms and dads. And when you share the word of God, it's the powers in the word. And Larry, we mentioned this the other day about the, I heard a, a fellow on the radio the other day. He was doing Ananias and Sapphira. And he read the whole chapter of Ananias and Sapphira from the beginning to the end. That's how he started the sermon. And then he closed his Bible and then just talked for half an hour about what he thought about the story. That's not technically preaching. It's reading the scriptures and there's power in the word. But a lot of things he said were just his opinion about it. Do you see what I'm saying? And and so this I I really saw in this I don't know that it's the, the exact proper interpretation of, of why he said this. But I do know he's got some conviction, doesn't he? Can we just hear him? We shouldn't judge him. He doesn't want to reveal that he's actually visited with him. Um, verse 52, They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So their excuse for not listening to him is the fact that he's not from Bethlehem. We don't need to listen to him. We'll st- well, the Bible says, I've met a lot of people who use scriptures out of context.
to stand boldly on a false teaching. Lots of them. Many cults are built on a verse taken out of context. Many false teachings. And around here, we rely on, I tell you, we had one of the better Sunday school classes today because we have such um, in people who love the word around here. So we had, you know, Gary sharing over here, and Art was sharing over here, and then Dave was sharing over there, and then Liz was whispering things to me, and then uh, she doesn't like to share publicly, so she'll whisper them to me, and if it's good, I'll share it and take credit for it. But no, and she'll share over here, and and it was uh, and. It was the one of the better give and takes, not debating. There wasn't a debate. It was just, and this, oh, also this. And then Karen was sharing some beautiful things. And it's just like uh, you got so much, so many things from so many different people. Um, and it was just beautiful because they were all sharing verses. And that was the beautiful part about it. Um, and it keeps me from getting there's so many people here who know the word that if I wanted to take you on a little rabbit trail away from the truth they would not allow it Dom would not allow it Larry would not allow it Jared would not allow it Karen would not allow it any Carol would not there's not anybody here would allow it because she would come and say and people come John have you thought about this you think about this and that's a beautiful protection. It's a Berean thing, isn't it? And then verse 53, it's a really interesting little ending to this. And it says, everyone went to his own house. So think about that for a second. The word of God is preached. The truth is shared. The gaps are filled in. And then everybody is going to go and make the decision on their own. They're going to quench the spirit. They're going to kick against the goads. They're going to receive Christ. Um, but you're, you don't go to heaven because you go to church. You don't go to heaven because of your denomination. You go to heaven because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when you go to your house. By the way, when Nicodemus went to his house by himself. Can you imagine the thoughts going through his head that night? Oh, those guys, they experienced the same thing I did. We know he thought about it through the entire ministry of Jesus Christ because when is the next time we see Nicodemus? He is helping Joseph take the body off of the cross and bury it. Publicly, by the way. God is working in people and when you go to your house that's really where your true relationship with God is in effect Heavenly Father help us Lord to fill in these gaps Lord these uh, misinformation or sometimes it's just not having information and Lord it's it's one of the the joys of ministries for someone to come and say hey what does the Bible say about this or the Bible says this and and the ability to show them the verse and have the word of God do a work in them Lord it's the uh, it's satisfying Lord and it is a privilege to be a part of it and Lord help all of us to 
be that feet for you, Lord. You say in your word that faith cometh by hearing, but that they can't hear unless somebody is sent. So, Lord, we commit that if you send us, we will point them to Scripture, not to a book, not to a person, not to a denomination, but to your word and to your Son. We thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen.